Job chapter 1, reading from verse 1. In the land of us there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, Roaming through the earth and going to and fro in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing, Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread out throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, that everything he has is in your hands. But on the man himself do not lay a finger. And Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were ploughing, and the donkeys were gay grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and they carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, Yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and saw his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. And naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word, and as we begin this new series looking into the book of Job, we pray that you might speak to us, that you might show us that you are with us in all circumstances. We pray
pray that you might speak to us this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Are you with us this morning as, uh, as we begin a brand new series? Story of Job living in the storms of life. My favourite book in the Old Testament is Job. Uh, it's not always been my favourite book, but it is. And uh, as we go through this series, I'll tell you a little bit why it has become my favourite book in the Old Testament. It's, uh, it's a long story. I don't know if you've noticed that. There's... Uh, there's 42 chapters in the book of Job, and uh, we've just read the first one, but there's uh, 41 more chapters to come. And uh, we're going to be looking at this book over the next six weeks. We're dividing these 42 uh, chapters over six weeks. Uh, maths wasn't my greatest subject, but uh, if you divide uh, 42 by 6, I couldn't find a division sign, but that's what it's meant to be, uh, you get 7. And uh, there's uh, seven days in a week, so you could read a chapter of Job uh, every day for the next six weeks, and then you've read the book. So uh, there's a little reading plan for you. We've done 40 days of purpose, and now uh, we're doing 40 days with Job. And uh, I hope it will just be uh, as enlightening and as enjoyable. So then, one chapter a day. There you go. It's also a great story. These are some things that people have said. Martin Luther said it's magnificent and sublime. Thomas Carlyle says there's nothing written, I think, in the Bible or out of it of equal literary merit. And Victor Hugo says Job is perhaps the greatest masterpiece of the human mind. So high praise uh, for the literal, literary qualities of the book of Job. So then, let's, uh, let's get started with the book of Job, uh, Living in the Storms of Life. I'm calling it Living in the Storms of Life because that's what Job has to do. And some of you uh, this morning, I know, are, are living in the storms of life. Uh, Don Carson said, um, if you live long enough, you will suffer. And he says, the only reason you don't suffer is if you don't live long enough. So we're looking at a subject this morning that is uh, familiar to many of us. Some of us have suffered, some of us are suffering, and some of us will suffer. And so we recognise that. And uh, we recognise that this is a book that not everybody uh, would naturally turn to. It's not everybody's favourite book. Maybe after six weeks it will be in contention for your favourite book of the Old Testament. We begin... The story of Job with the calm before the storm. First uh, opening verses of Job, chapter 1 uh, through to verse 5, give us a calm, tranquil scene. In the land of us there lived a man whose name was Job. And uh, we're introduced to the name of the man that this book is about. This is Job's story. And whenever we look at books in the Bible, there's interesting questions uh, that we might ask ourselves. 
One of the questions that I'm often, often asked when I'm speaking about Job is, was he a real person? Did he really exist? Um, when was the book written? And, uh, and who wrote the book? These are interesting questions and good questions to ask because it, it's good to know um, a little bit about uh, the book of the Bible that we're looking at. And uh, it's always helpful to do that. Um, but these are questions that are actually quite difficult to answer because uh, we don't actually know who wrote the book of Job. Uh, there's, no, there's no real indication within the, within the book itself about who uh, wrote the book. Um, we don't know all about uh, when it was written. Uh, there's one or two clues from the fact that uh, Job seemed to act as a, as a kind of priest for the family. Some people have dated the book back as far as the time of Abraham and, uh, and Jacob and that kind of era. Uh, at the end of the book we read that Job lived to 140 years. And again that would place it as, as quite an old book because, uh, because it seems that certainly in the uh, opening chapters of Genesis... Uh, that people lived an awful long time. But the, the truth of the matter is, um, uh, people have different ideas, and we don't really know uh, who wrote the book or when it was written. And what about whether Job was a real person? Well, again, um, there was one or two clues. Job is mentioned in one or two places in the Bible, uh, outside of the book of Job. It would seem from uh, other, other writings outside of the Bible that also write about a character named Job who suffered, uh, that it could have been based on a real person. Uh, that lived in real time. But the truth is, it doesn't really matter. Because uh, this isn't uh, necessarily a book about the history of Job, but it is about the story of Job and how he responds to immense suffering. Job is part of the wisdom literature. And uh, again, I'll just point this out because uh, sometimes you know, people say to me, well, I just believe what the Bible says. You know, as if the Bible was uh, written by one person and uh, we just take it... Uh, as literal and to be read as, as one kind of book, when, as so many of you will know, that the Bible contains many different kinds of literature. It contains history, it contains poetry, it contains narrative and stories, and it contains something that uh, is often termed to as wisdom literature. And Job is part of the wisdom literature, like Ecclesiastes and parts of Psalms and Songs of Solomon. And uh, the wisdom literature was literature that was written to give wisdom about life and the experiences that people have. And so, you don't need to worry about whether Job was actually a real person or not, because it doesn't alter anything in the story, it doesn't take anything away, and it doesn't add anything. And uh, something that you can, uh, that's of interest and you might have to talk about if you're in a house group uh, looking at the book of Job over these next few weeks. So then, in the land of Buzz, there lived a man whose name was Job. And uh, this man was blameless and upright, he feared God, and he shunned evil. Uh, we're introduced to Job as, as a good man, as a, a godly man. That, uh, that phrase, he feared God, uh, you'll find it time and time again in the Old Testament. And it's said in the Old Testament, that is the beginning of wisdom, to fear God. And it's a term that you'll find used again and again. Of godly people, Job was a man... It was blameless and upright and he feared God and shunned evil. Uh, Job was an innocent man. The, uh, the author of the book of Job goes out of his way to explain this and its importance uh, as we go through the book of Job that you remember this. The opening chapters, if you like, tell us everything that we need to know about the story. The opening chapter tells us everything we need to know. And the most important thing in chapter 1 that we need to know 
is that Job was an innocent man. And so that everything that's going to happen to Job in the course of this story, in this book, and all the conversations he'll have about what happened to him, uh, we the readers know that Job is completely innocent. He's as good as any man could be. Uh, he was blameless and upright and feared God and he shunned evil. He was an innocent man. And I emphasise that. Because uh, it's important that we remember that. He has seven sons and three daughters introduced to his family. Again, it's almost a perfect family because uh, seven and three in the Bible are, are kind of perfect numbers. And uh, they add up to ten, which is again is one of the perfect numbers. So what's being painted here by the author in the opening chapters of this calm before the storm is a kind of perfect picture of the almost perfect man with the ideal family. And, uh, and also uh, a very rich man, he owns 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels and uh, donkeys and he had all these servants. So here was, a, was not only a godly man and a family man uh, but a very rich and affluent man. And you can you see that the author's painting this picture of almost perfection. You know, he had everything uh, in terms of family, in terms of wealth, in terms of the relationship with God. Here is somebody who had it all. Uh, in modern day terms we would say he was living the dream. That's what people would say. This was Job. He was living the dream. And uh, in case you didn't get it, the author says he was the greatest among all the people of the East. So you've got a picture, haven't you? Now, perfect man, perfect family, wealth, fortune, greatest person in the East. This is a good man. The calm before the storm. And then the next bit, the storm clouds gather. And we look at the next uh, few verses from 6 to 12. And uh, I've, I've put this little sign here, because I'm going to be using this sign through the series. And this is a sign for a, a storm warning. Uh, and you'll see it appear now and again in, in, in the sermons over the weeks. And this is just to warn you, uh, you know, that there's a storm coming. Uh, something uh, not very nice because I, I do need to tell you that you won't like this next bit. You won't like this next bit that we read in uh, verses 6 uh, through to 12. You won't like it. And so I just give you that warning. Uh, and of course, some people think you've got to like everything in Scripture. You know, again, some people have a very simplistic view about the Bible. Not only do they say, you know, that I just believe the Bible, they think the Bible is full of, of good news, and it is full of good news. Uh, but it's also so full of some things that we don't like, and you won't like this next bit. And I, I just warn you about that as the storm clouds gather, because we're taken into a, a very different scene. At the end of, uh, of verse five, if, you know, if this had been a novel, you'd turn the page and uh, you'd move to a new chapter. If it was a film, uh, the, the, the screen would slowly fade, and you would sit in darkness for a few moments, and then a bright scene would appear to tell you that you've, you've gone into another place. If it was a play, the curtains would shut and reopen and the scene would have been shifted and you'd be aware that you were in a very different place. We've gone from a very uh, familiar scene on earth to a very unfamiliar scene on the day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. 
And we go from the pleasant, that lovely, tranquil scene of Job with all his sons and daughters and sheep and camels and, and all his riches and servants and his happiness and his good relationship with God to the rather unpleasant conversation between God and Satan. We are lifted from this familiar setting to an unfamiliar scene of God's presence in heaven. And we're not very comfortable, if we're honest, with the scene that's being played out. Charles uh, Swindle in his book says about this, he says, beginning at verse 7 down through to verse 12, we have a dialogue that is most interesting. You won't find it anywhere else in the Bible. What Charles Swindle describes as most interesting, you and I might want to describe as most disturbing. Who is this person that God is having this conversation with? Is a good question to ask. Who is this Satan figure uh, that, uh, that, God's, uh, that God says, Have you considered my servant Job? And uh, the Satan figure says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Who is God talking to? And this again is where we just have to. Uh, Tread a little bit carefully because as soon as we read the uh, the, the name Satan, we automatically uh, think of the devil of the New Testament. And uh, there's a little footnote if you've got the NIV Bible that simply says uh, Satan, the Hebrew word is used, means accuser. Satan uh, means accuser. Um, in his commentary on this, Francis Anderson uh, says this, it's hard to examine the role and character of Satan in Job without thinking of the devil that he became in later literature. The Satan may be the chief mischief maker of the universe, but he's a mere creature, purely compared to the Lord. He can only do what God permits him to do. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. Just point out this figure because uh, uh, the characters in, in the book of Job and the story uh, have no concept of the devil that we have. And so for us to say, oh yes, you know, here's the devil making mischief again, uh, is not quite correct and isn't accurate to what the Bible is actually saying. And uh, if, if you read any commentaries on the book of Job, uh, people disagree about whether Satan was welcome amongst the heavenly realm or whether he was an intruder. Because the, the way that the, the text reads, it seems that the angels and Satan come to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan is amongst this group of the angels. And uh, the fact that he says uh, that he came amongst them, some people would suggest that that means he was one of them, others would suggest that he was an intruder. But the way that the text reads to me, it seems to me that, that he was one of them, because the Lord says to him, you know, uh, have you considered? He says, what have you been up to? And he says, I've been growing through the earth, going to and fro. And he says, all the heavenly angels are coming to report to God. And it just so happens that the, the author tells us about the, the moments when the Satan figure and God have this conversation. And so, um, the point that I'm trying to make really, uh, as the storm clouds gather, uh, is that we shouldn't read this as, as the devil of the New Testament. We shouldn't read too much into it. 
Because it will be very easy for us to come to the conclusion that, ah yes, the problem uh, with Job is, is the devil. And in the Bible, in the text, it's very clear that all the other characters uh, recognise that what happens to Job comes from God. That from this point on, uh, none of us like it, the idea, but Job is now being tested. And uh, tested by God. And this is why we feel very uncomfortable with it. From this point it becomes a test of faith. You see, um, we know that Job is innocent. So the only question left for us as the readers is, how will Job respond to this unfair treatment that he is receiving? How is he going to respond? It becomes a test of faith. And the bits we like the least, God gives his permission. God gives his permission. We don't like the idea, do we, that God gives his permission for this Satan character, whoever he may be, not a nice character, obviously, uh, to go out and to bring all this trouble. Uh, but we need to note that this is what the Bible says, that he does so, and he cannot do so without God's permission. Uh, we're in an uncomfortable area, aren't we? Because it's not the kind of picture that we normally present of God as, you know, as the loving Father, as, you know, the God that sends his son Jesus to save us and, and, and all the good stuff that we read in the Bible. Here, uh, we are opened up to what some commentators call the dark side of God. The side of God that is unfamiliar and unpleasant to, but is here in Scripture nevertheless. And the book of Job isn't the only place where we find this uncomfortable uh, explanation of what's happening and that God is going to give his permission for an unfair treatment of Job. But those of us that have experienced suffering uh, know something of this unfair treatment, don't we? We know that uh, whilst we not, might not be as great as Job, we not, might, might not be as wonderful and perfect as Job, that very often the suffering that we experience far outweighs any wrongs that we have, might, might have done. So God gives you permission, we don't like that. And that's why we uh, give a storm warning. But not all suffering is the result of a heavenly counsel. Not all suffering is the result of heavy counsel. It's important that we don't, you know, very often one of the mistakes people make is they draw conclusions from one part of scripture and we do have to look at scripture as a whole. Not all suffering is the result of a heavenly counsel. Again, Francis Anderson said, it's impossible to believe that the purpose of this tremendous book is to teach us an explanation of evil that Job and his friends never think of, namely that human suffering is caused by the devil. That's not a conclusion that any of the people in the book of Job would have ever come to. They know that what happens, that the good and the bad that come, come from God. There's no question that it comes from anywhere else. And for us to, to, to insist on some other answer is just not being correct to what the scripture teaches. And wouldn't make sense in terms of the book of Job. So... Not all suffering is a result of having a council meeting, but Job's suffering is. Job's suffering is. We know now why Job is suffering. One of the tensions in the story, of course, is that Job never discovers 
the reason why he suffers. And one of the interesting things about the book of Job, we've already said we don't know who wrote it, we don't know when it was written, and we don't know whether Job was a real person. And one of the things that the book of Job reminds us of is there's actually an awful lot of things that we just don't know. You see, we live in this world where everybody wants an answer to everything. And it's very easy for us as Christians to fall into the trap of, of supplying neat and tiny answers. And we'll be looking at that later on in the book of Job because that's what the three friends did. And we can see how disastrous at times that can be. But the book of Job takes us into this area of something of the mystery and majesty of God. That we as puny human beings will never know everything. And we probably know a lot less than we actually think we do. And that's not a bad thing, because it means that we are reliant on God and we wonder and we awe at God because he is so big and so magnificent and so mighty. And sometimes we lose that, don't we? Because we think of Jesus as our friend and you know God as our pal and we can become very familiar. And you know, some of the songs that we sing and some of the lyrics, you know, it sounds very familiar. And sometimes we lose this sense of awe and wonder and mystery about God. And Job reintroduces us to that idea that there is a mystery uh, in connection with God. And so, the calm before the storm, the storm clouds gathers, and then we're taken back to an earthly scene. An unexpected storm. You see, Job doesn't know anything about that heavenly meeting. Uh, when we read in verse 13, one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking, you know, Job woke up that morning like any other morning, and he's no idea of the trouble that's in store for him. He wakes up and, uh, and he's no idea about what's to come. It's unexpected. One day a messenger came to Job and said, and notice how in the, in the passage the author's very clever in the way that uh, each message before the messenger's finished, another messenger arrives with bad news and it's repeated. Whilst he was still speaking, another messenger came. Whilst he was still speaking, another messenger came. And so Job doesn't have a, a chance to respond to each individual calamity before all the calamities are hitting. And some of you here today know what's, what's that like. You've had a day like that or a week like that or a month like that or a year like that where it's just one thing after another after another, after another. And you wonder what the next messenger, what news they're going to bring. I said at the beginning that uh, you know, the book of Job is my favourite book and one of the reasons why it became my favourite book is because of a day like this that we experienced in our family. Um, I wasn't the greatest person in the East, I wasn't even from the East, I'm from the North West, but my life was pretty good. Um, I was uh, married to Sue, and uh, we had a, our first child, and we were required to go to Spurgeon College, and everything was looking great, and life was as great as it could be, when we found a messenger, we were sat in a hospital room, and a messenger came in to tell us that our first daughter had an illness that was going to be incurable, and at best, uh, she would be extremely uh, disabled, and at worst, it would be life-threatening. And then later, in the same year, another messenger, another hospital room, and we're told that actually the diagnosis wasn't quite right, it was worse than we thought, and that our daughter would not live past her first birthday. And like Joe, in many senses our world came crashing in on us. And the day that Joe experienced, some of you also have experienced, you know what it's like to receive 
crushing years about family, about friends, about yourself. You've experienced that hardship of thinking, you know, what on earth is going on? What is God doing? What is going on? While he was still speaking, another messenger came. Another messenger came. And then Job's response. Well, Job's response is, is pretty amazing, isn't it? I don't know about you. I don't know about how you respond to devastating news. But Job's response is pretty amazing. And you won't find many more amazing verses. If you're looking for some hope and some good news, then this is the point now in verse 20. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And Job's response to these calamities that hit him one after the other after the other is to bow down and to worship God. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. And what he says in those amazing verses, he acknowledges that God is in control of everything. And that all those things that he had, all those blessings that he had before the calamities struck, were from God. And when his wife turns round to him in, in chapter 2 and says, you may as well just curse God and die. And Job says, you know, Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? You see, he, he names where this trouble is coming from. No doubt whatsoever that Job's trouble comes from God. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And there's a message in this, isn't there, for all of us? Because, you know, it's great to worship God when we're feeling good and when life is great. Um, but, as Christians, we're also called to worship God. And of course the test which Job passes with flying colours, the accusation that the Satan character makes was that if God removed all these lovely things from Job's life, that he would curse him. That the only reason that Job was serving God was for the good things that he was getting out of it. And sometimes, you know friends, there are people that are like that. That as soon as calamity strikes, their faith in God crumbles. And if we're not careful, we fail the test of faith. If we only worship God, if we only praise God when things are good and when everything is going well, we actually fail the test of faith. Because this is where the rubber hits the road. Can mankind still serve and worship God when the going gets tough? When God is no longer blessing, but people are experiencing the curse and the trouble that sometimes God permits and we know, really, although we don't like it, we like to think of it, we know that God permits it because we see it all around us. You know, either God is in complete control of the world and permits all these nasty things to happen, illnesses, death, bereavement, trouble, marriage breakups, all these horrible things that happen. Either God allows these things to happen or he's not in complete control. You can't have it either way. And the book of Job reminds us of a theological truth that God permits these things to happen. And yes, you can argue that the, you know sometimes we don't know, you know, what's going on in the heavenly realms. We don't know what victories are being won by uh, the sufferings that we are experiencing. But I wouldn't say that to somebody who's going through it. I've had it said to me, but I haven't said it. 
because it's not very kind and I don't think it's true because we don't know. And one of the, the points, as I've mentioned before in the story of Job, is Job never gets to find the reason for his suffering. It's never explained to me. I'm not giving anything away, but I'm just saying that's the story. Nobody in the story realises or is told about that heavenly encounter in the throne room of heaven. No one's told that discussion that the Satan has with God. But Job's response is one of worship. Sometimes we sing a song that we're going to sing it at the end of the service, where uh, Matt Medlin talks about there being pain in the offering when we worship God, that sometimes there is pain in the offering because of the experiences and the trouble that we have experienced, that we offer our worship to God out of our pain. We're used to offering it out of our joy and our thankfulness. And, and our gratefulness, but sometimes we are to offer God praise and worship out of our pain and out of our suffering. And that's just as real, and in many cases more real, because of what is said here. Does Job serve God for nothing? Yes, is the answer. Yes. When everything is taken away, and all the good things, his own family, his business, his home, everything's removed. His health is taken away from him in chapter 2. And still, Job doesn't do anything by charging God with wrongdoing. In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Job's response. Job is an innocent man. And of course we can't help, when we think about Job and an innocent man who suffers, we can't help but we be reminded of the fact that we worship an innocent man who suffered. Job is in many senses uh, a Christ-like character who suffers through no wrongdoing of his own. And of course, the God and Jesus that we worship was an innocent man who suffers. It's a pattern that we're introduced to into the Old Testament, what we read about in the New Testament. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. We worship a God whose son was an innocent man, who was perfect in every way, and yet suffered even to death on a cross. Well, <clears throat> That's the story of Job. That's where we have to leave it this morning. Uh, but it does continue next week. Job chapter 3. After the storm, we see how Job responds when his three friends turn up. Do read uh, for yourself chapters 2 through to, uh, through to 3 for next week. You'll find it helpful. But
that it's impossible, like reaching for a star, starting on a journey man's never done before. Don't think. The struggle to believe, like gifts beyond the window, so much to receive. Don't think that it's impossible for anyone can tell. Finally, faith must be the key. Thank、you.